Hey everyone, welcome to the podcast for the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you haven't already, we encourage you to check out our audio archive at vineyardcampbellsville.org. You can also subscribe on iTunes or wherever you like to get podcasts. And now, here's this week's message brought to you by Senior Pastor Adam Russell. All right, hey church, uh, why don't we do this? Uh, I want to talk to you for a moment or two this morning out of the book of Hebrews. I've had one verse in my heart for a few weeks, and I want to share it with you this morning. And before we even get into Hebrews, uh, we're going to look at Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, Eva read the beginning of the chapter this morning, and then we'll read the next bit of the text uh, here in a moment. But the, the verse that's been in my heart for a few weeks has been Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. And before we get into that, I, I just want to, I want to say this. I, I want to talk to three different kinds of people who are here this morning. Uh, number one, uh, I want to talk to people maybe who have no faith. Like you're, you're at church, but maybe you don't even know why you're here. You're like, you wouldn't really even call yourself a Christian. Uh, you're, you're, you're here, maybe somebody brought you, or maybe you're exploring faith or you're open to faith. And I, I just want to tell you this morning, I want to talk to you specifically this morning, if you don't have any faith or if you're sort of agnostic or you're not sure what you believe, I, I want you to know that a big part of what I want to say to you this morning is specifically for you, you know? Uh, and, and I want you to hear this in an invitational way. The, the second person here this morning is, is, is maybe, maybe someone uh, who has had some faith, but it, it, it's, it's been a little bit on the dormant side, right? Like, it hasn't been alive in some way. It doesn't feel green. Maybe the roots are still there and they're alive, but, but maybe, maybe the, the top part of your faith, it doesn't, it doesn't feel particularly vibrant. And, and I want to share some things with you this morning. And then maybe you've had faith for a long time and maybe you've been like a real faithful church person and maybe you even love this church and you think that the vineyard is pretty great. And, and I want to speak to you this morning and I just want to remind you of some very basic gospel stuff. So what am I trying to say? I'm talking to everybody in the room this morning. That's what I'm trying to say. And even for those of us who are very familiar with the basic, like big tenant ideas of what the good news of Jesus Christ is this morning, maybe you've been a Christian for 40 years or 50. uh, I want to remind you again of what the good news is because we need reminded. And one of the things that I've really taken to heart in the last couple of years is the words of Jesus in the Gospels where he says, remember me. Uh, I have become more and more convinced, especially after two years of, of uh, COVID and pandemics and disruption and seeing people uh, come into church for the first time and come to faith for the ch- first time, and then also see people who have been in church for a long time and just like, get completely disconnected. I have seen that Jesus really knows what he's talking about And one of the main things that a Christian can do is remember Jesus. Most people don't just leave Jesus, they forget Jesus. For all kinds of things, all kinds of reasons. We just get like, you know, other things come around. Maybe it's travel ball, or maybe it's COVID, or maybe it's any number of stuff. And all of a sudden you look up and you're living a life you never intended on living because we just sort of like forgot Jesus somewhere along the way. And so that's what I want to do this morning. First Sunday of the year, I want to preach the gospel to you. Is that all right? And this is out of... Hebrews chapter 10. Seth, if we can just put these verses up. Uh, I want to read you just this, this admonition from our dear brother several thousand years ago. <clears throat> it goes like this. It says, And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can enter, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. 
By his death, Jesus opened up a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, this is the verse that's been in my heart. Let us go right in. That's the phrase that's been in my heart. Let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him for our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood. How many of you would like to just have all of your guilt just like evaporated, you know, have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Let us think of ways to motivate one another to acts of love and good works. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do, but encourage one another, especially now that the day of his return is drawing near. That's the text for this morning. I want to talk to you about going right into God's presence. But before we maybe unlock the text a little bit this morning, uh, I want to talk to you about, I want to talk to you about passwords for a minute. Uh, how many of you have noticed that everything, everything these days is password protected? God, it's like, it's like the bane of my existence, isn't it? Like everything has a password. Every app has a password. Like your bank account has a password. Uh, and then if you can't remember the password to your bank account, there's the security questions that you also can't remember, right? Yeah, I was, I was laughing about that the other day. I, I forgot the password to my bank account. Somehow it got like weird and then... It's like, okay, no problem. Here's the security questions that you agreed upon, <laughs> you know, 18 and a half years ago. And then I'm like, I don't know the answers to these questions. I, I don't, how did this happen, right? Everything has a password. Not only that, but like your phone has a password. And, and what is the password to your phone? It's your face, which is totally genius, isn't it? It's totally genius because A, a, it's genius because it's so convenient. You can just like, you just show your face to your phone and it, and it comes back on. But then it's, it's also genius because it's, it's simple. Like you don't have like security questions to remember. And it's, it's genius because it's utterly unique because you're the only person who has a face like you. But then it's also, it's also telling. I've been thinking about this this week. It's telling that, that if our phones' passwords are our faces, that Apple... And these software developers, they are not just knowing our face, they're telling a story, aren't they? This is, this is what's very interesting about it. They're telling a story. They're number one, they're getting us to pick our phones up and put them in front of our face because that's where they want them. But they're also saying, they're also saying, they're saying that, that, that whatever's on the inside of this phone is for your eyes only. I think it's really genius. It's really genius. It's that subharmonic marketing that you don't notice and you don't pay attention to, but, but somebody was really, really smart. And to open my computer, I use my, my fingerprint, you know? And, and the only person who can open my computer is, is me because I'm the only one that has this particular fingerprint. And part of what they're saying is, is whatever's on the inside of this computer, it's for these fingers only, right? Yeah. One of the things I've been thinking about this week is how we, we password protect things that are important. Uh, we password protect things that need to be exclusive and private. And it's interesting that the more valuable something is, the more private it is, 
And, and the bigger the chances of it, having some kind of a password or a lock or a protection associated with it. Uh, just this week, uh, my family and I, we went, to, we went to the mountains for a few days and we got an Airbnb, you know? Uh, haven't you realized that there's nothing worse in the world than a hotel? Like after getting an Airbnb, you're like, oh, I will never go to a hotel again. You know, it's like, like we, need a, we need rooms for the children to be banished to, you know? It's, <laughs> go watch SpongeBob in another room. I cannot watch SpongeBob in a hotel room ever again with you. And so we went to the Airbnb and, and in order to get into the Airbnb, you need, you need a special passcode. Uh, and the passcode lets us in and it, it, and it functionally keeps others out. Uh, you, you, you password protect things that are important, things that need to be private, things that are for you only. I'll tell you another story. Uh, a, a few years ago, my older boys and I, we got to go to a Mumford & Sons concert and we had backstage passes. And here's what's interesting about this. I don't know any of the guys in the band, but I had backstage passes. And the reason I had backstage passes is because the lead singer, Marcus Mumford, his mother and father, they're like spiritual giants in the vineyard. And I know, I know Eleanor and John. And Eleanor noticed that they were coming into Kentucky and she called me one day and said, Adam, would you like to go see the boys play? <laughs> She said it in a much more posh British way than that. But I was like, of course I want to go. Let's like, yes, Eleanor, get me in. And she goes, hey, I've gotten you tickets and I've got you backstage passes and Marcus is expecting you. Please go backstage. He wants to have dinner with you. I'm like, okay. So on the one hand, you're like, yay, this is fun. But then how many of you also know if you don't know them, it's what? It's awkward. It's like, hey, Marcus, it's me, Adam. Your mom said you were taking me to dinner. And here, here's what we did. The boys, and I, the boys and I went backstage, and it was really, really cool because you got to see how a really big rock show is put together, and there's just a lot more people working than you ever realized, you know? And we went and had dinner with Marcus. It was really cool and it was so embarrassing. And here's why it was embarrassing. It was embarrassing because I'm, I'm meeting Marcus and I've got my boys with me and we're meeting the band and they could not be kinder. And then to make it a million times worse, Marcus is running around like a chicken with his head cut off, serving us. He's saying to River and Seth, hey, what do you guys want to drink? And he's running around, he's getting his drinks and he's, and he's making sure that, that we feel comfortable backstage. And it was so kind and it was so sweet and utterly embarrassing because he's like the star of the show, but he's doing this for us. It was the weird, to this day, it's one of the weirdest, most surreal moments of our lives. And then he looks at his watch at one point and he says to River and Seth, he's like, boys, follow me. And he takes them into the concert arena. The opening act is already playing and he drags us into the guitar tech little thing and he grabs a guitar. He goes up, plays two songs and comes back. I mean, he did all the things. It was so fun and utterly embarrassing. And the only reason we got to go back there is because somebody who really knew what was going on gave us access. You know, it was really fun and really like, 
surreal and awkward. Awkward is the word that really keeps coming back. It was a, but it was a gift. It was a gift. I also want to say this. It has nothing to do with the message. It, uh, it's also very cool to meet someone who's a rock star, like proper worldwide rock star, and you see what, what being a Christian does to you over a lifetime. Like he, like he could, not, could not have been a, a bigger servant to us. Like I, I came away going, oh, my discipleship is being challenged right now by someone who's so famous. So anyway, uh, uh, you might be in the room this morning. You might be thinking, okay, Adam, that was a great story. So what? <laughs> well, here, here's what I want to say about that. Today's passage is kind of a, it's kind of a first century riff on a lot of what we've been talking about for the last minute or two here. Uh, it's a little bit of a first century riff on passwords or getting a backstage pass. It's, it's kind of this idea. I hope you notice some of the language. But some of it is set deep inside of Old Testament context. And, and if you don't know your Old Testament, some of it might just be lost on you. Did you notice some of the words this morning that were in the text? Uh, most holy place, uh, curtain. Did you notice the word curtain this morning in the text? You might be thinking, curtain? Like, What's the curtain and what is the most holy place? Well, this is just Old Testament stuff. And the writer of Hebrews says that because of Jesus, whatever this thing is and whatever he's done, he's allowed us to enter heaven's most holy place. And that's like, that's like Old Testament code language for inside of the temple. There was like the temple, you know, and it was like the most important building. And there was this outer court and inside the outer court, there was a inner court. And then inside of the inner court, there was like a inner inner court. And that was the most holy place. And here's the basic, the basic idea, the basic story in the most holy place. That's where the Ark of the Covenant, you guys remember like Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's where Harrison Ford would go once a year. No, it wasn't Harrison Ford, but it was the high priest. So there's this, there's this room inside of a room inside of a really big temple. And it's the most holy place. And the Ark of the Covenant is there. And the basic idea is something like this. In that spot, that's where heaven and earth meet. That's what N.T. Wright would say. The theologian N.T. Wright, he would say, this is where heaven and earth overlap. It overlaps in the temple in this spot. And once a year, once a year, one guy... One guy gets to go in and the guy who gets to go in has to be from a special family and he has to be from uh, the right place and the right time and he, he has his lot drawn and he gets to go in and he gets to do this thing once a year. He gets to offer a sacrifice for all the people and he gets access and he gets to come into the presence of God and it's like exclusive. I think the word I want to use here is the word exclusive. It's like it's it's beyond, it's beyond password protected, and it's a lot more exclusive than going to see a rock band in Lexington at Rupp Arena. But that's basically what's going on. So you have to have some of this kind of in your mind when we're reading this, this Hebrew stuff. It's where heaven and earth meet. And it has a lot to do with sacrifice. And some of us in the room might be thinking, sacrifice, I, like what, what are we even, like sacrifice? I was thinking about that this week too. Uh, how foreign 
how foreign is the idea in some ways of like animal sacrifice to us as modern people, you know? But I just wanna, I wanna talk to you for a second about that as well. Doesn't make much sense to us, but in, in, ancient, in ancient Near East, uh, animal sacrifice was just, it was, it was a way of acknowledging a few things. And it, it was a way of acknowledging a few things that I think actually still make a lot of sense to us. Uh, number one, uh, so animal sacrifice was a way of acknowledging that sin was real. You know, uh, some of us, especially in the modern world, we're, we're uncomfortable around the word sin. I'm becoming more comfortable with it because like, what else do you call, uh, what else do you call it when somebody does something that really screws something up? I've, I've been listening, in the, especially in the last four years, uh, more and more people are trying to remove the word or the idea of sin. And, and my question is, well, what do you call it when people like really, really terrorize one another? It's not just a goof up. How many of you know there's, there's goof ups, but then there's stuff that's like beyond that? What do you call it? And so animal sacrifice is an ancient way of saying, you know, sin is real. It's real. Uh, things are screwed up. And not only that, but sometimes, how many of you know this? Sometimes I'm the one who screws it up. Like I do it. Uh, the second thing that animal sacrifice points to is that there's consequences to sin. Like, you know, if I don't just goof up, but if I really, really wreck something, uh, there's consequences. Uh, how many of you know that oftentimes when sin really takes root, that relationships suffer, right? Like this is almost always, almost always the thing that's under the thing, especially when it comes to sin. Like relationships suffer and, and often something dies. And I wanna say this, not just literally, but figuratively. And I'm, I'm using the phrase exactly in that, in, that, in that condition. Animal sacrifice is a way of saying sin is real, things get screwed up, oftentimes it's me, relationships suffer, and something dies, not just literally in the animal, but figuratively. Think about it this way. Let's imagine you steal, like you steal from your neighbor. What dies? The relationship between who? You and your neighbor. Why? Because the trust dies, right? And that's what animal sacrifice is saying. Animal sacrifice is saying, this thing that happens between us, it's not just an idea out here. It has real world consequences. And in this, in this act, uh, we're acting out the thing that often happens between us. Relational trust dies. Uh, not only that, but animal sacrifice says this, something has to be done. You can't just ignore and pretend everything is okay. You know, uh, like if you stole a bunch of stuff from your neighbor, you wouldn't just pretend like, oh, everything's fine, right? Like if you go on pretending, how many of you know, like it gets weirder? Like pretending makes it weirder, right? So animal sacrifice is a way of saying, no, something has to be done. Like we actually have to do something. And then, and then sacrifice would be an ancient way of saying, can we offload our guilt onto something else so that we could be put back into right standing with whatever's going on. It's, it's a way of saying like, could we take whatever's going on, could we put it over here so that you and I could be back together? Could the animal be our stand-in? And that might, be, that might sound really weird too, right? 
Because that's the idea. Could we, could we put on the animal what was between us as a group, you know? And you might be thinking, well, that's a dumb idea. It's kind of genius, though. And, and here's kind of where that came from. It's linked to this, this Old Testament idea of covenant. Somebody in the room say covenant. covenant. Right. How many of you all remember that guy named Abraham? Everybody remember Abraham? Like, this is where it starts in the Old Testament. In, in, in Genesis chapter 15, God comes to Abraham and says, I'm going to give you kids, and I'm going to make, you have no kids. You got nothing. I'm going to give you kids. I'm going to make you a father of nations. Count the stars, Abraham. And he says, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to cut a covenant with you. And in the word covenant, there's this idea of cut. And it's the idea of like, not just cut, but it's like, and in, in Genesis chapter 15, they cut an animal in half. Y'all remember this? And God says to Abraham, walk down in the middle of that animal, right? He says, my promises are true. Take a walk through the entrails of the animal. And here's the essential idea in, in this concept of covenant. It's this idea. Let it be to me if I don't do what I say I will do. Let it be to me as this animal if I don't keep my end of the bargain. And Abraham, let it be to you as it is to this animal if, I don't, if you don't keep this if you don't keep your end of the bargain, right? It's like this idea of like, we're going to cut this thing apart. This is, this is deadly serious. You and I are making an agreement and God is saying, watch out and see if my promises are not true. So you got this idea of covenant. We're cutting up animals. You got this idea of like sacrifice. It's the idea that sin is real. Something has to be done. We can't just pretend. Could we offload our guilt onto something else so that our relationship could come back together. And all of this is rooted deep down in some kind of an ancient idea that like we were meant to be together and it is rooted in the idea of covenant and it's rooted in the idea of we were made for one another. They're visceral displays of connection. And in the case of the Holy of Holies, it was like sacred space. It was reserved for one person once a year. It's the ultimate password. But the writer of Hebrews is saying that in Jesus, yearly sacrifice has been made obsolete. And in that space that was reserved for one person in one room once a year, it's become for all people. What was closed has become open. The writer of Hebrews also says, not only can you go in, but you should go in, in boldly. And I want to talk to you about the presence of God here just for a moment. We can enter boldly. Look at verse 19. Seth, you can put that back up. Not only do we enter, but we can, we can enter boldly. And here's part of what that means. It means we can enter free from guilt and free from shame. That's what it says in verse 22. Our guilty conscience has been made clean. Here's what I'd like you to know this morning, church. You don't have to live with a guilty conscience. Your, your guilt can be removed from you. Uh, for some of us here this morning, some of us here are riddled with guilt. Uh, some of us here are haunted like a ghost. We have guilt that just, it comes back to us. It's like a ghost. It goes away and then, and then it reappears or it lingers, or it's like a residue that, that taints and it just touches everything. But we can come into the presence of God. And what I'd like to say to you this morning is you can come to church and you can not only come to church, but you can come into the presence of God, and you can do so without a guilty conscience. Some of us here have a guilty conscience for all kinds of reasons. And the good news is that because of who Jesus is and what he has done, he can remove that from you and you can come boldly into the presence of God, no matter who you are or what you've done. 
It can be taken away. You don't have to live with the ghost of guilt. You don't have to be haunted by that anymore. I love what he says in verse 22. Let us go right into the presence of God. Let us go. Let us go boldly. We don't need a middleman. And when we talk about the presence of God, here's what we mean at the vineyard. We mean, we mean let, us go into, let us go into an encounter that is beyond the idea of God. Let us go into an encounter that's beyond just ideation. But it also means something beyond that. It means let us go beyond an, a felt awareness of God. Can I tell you something? A lot, of, a lot of charismatics stop at simply a felt awareness of God. The invitation that the writer of Hebrews is inviting us into is to go beyond the idea, but go beyond even the felt awareness of God. Go into the affections and the embrace of God. That's, that's the invitation. Go, in, go into the most holy place. Go into the place, go into God's dwelling place. Every single person here has an invitation to go into God's dwelling place and to go, to go there with, with no, no stain of guilt and, and, and no hint of shame. To go into his arms, to go into the embrace of God, to go past the tiny tinge of God awareness. Like sometimes in worship, uh, some of us in the room become aware, oh, there's something extra happening here. How many of y'all were aware of that this morning? There was something extra in the room. Yeah, th- there's an invitation for us to go even beyond that. Like waking up to the fact that God is among us, that, okay, good. There's actually an invitation to go one step further, to go straight into the love and affections of God. Uh, church, here's what I'd like you to know this morning. Uh, you, can, you can trust God and you can go into his presence and you can trust him. You can trust him like children trust their parents. You can trust them like children trust their parents. This week, Rowan was sleeping in the bed with us again. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> That's what you do on vacation, you know? And he, I was laughing about it. He, was, he would jump in the bed right in between Heather and I. He would jump in the bed with us. And he didn't even think, he didn't think anything of it, right? Why? Because I'm his dad and, and Heather's his mom. And that's just what you do when you're on vacation. You, you jump in the bed with your parents. And he fully trusted that it was a place where he was allowed to be. And I was just thinking, man, that's right. It's right. I love that. I, what a great thing, right? That's what, that's, what, that's what the Spirit would say to you this morning. You can trust God the way, the way a child trusts their parents without any worry or concern. Uh, you can come into the presence of God open, open and unguarded. Some of us here, when the presence of God really begins to awaken in hearts and minds in the room or maybe during worship or at church or when the presence of God becomes a little bit alive to us, some, some of us in the room shut down and we become guarded. We take a step back. We look at our phone. We go to the other room. We get a drink of water. Suddenly we have to pee. And, and all of this, all of this is pointing to to something else that's happening inside of us. And, and it's the thing that God wants to set us free from. You know, it's like, what are we hiding from? What, what is it in the past that is making us feel as though we can't come into the arms of our Father? What is it? What is it? What, what trace of guilt or shame needs to go? Some of us almost let ourselves go in, but then we, we get stuck behind a wall of, Concern, we remain guarded. But here's what I would like to say this morning. We can trust him. 
And here's why we can trust him. Because he is the God who sacrifices. He's not simply the God who requires sacrifice. I mean, that's what the writer of Hebrews is saying. He's saying you can trust him because he's the God who lays down his life, not simply the God who requires something to be laid down. And we can boldly enter his presence of who he is, not because of who we are. And we can go right in because of what he has done, not because of what we have done. Jesus makes us right before God. He doesn't just forgive our sins, but he makes us new people. That's what I want to say to everybody here this morning. He makes us new people. Uh, Here's what I would like to say specifically. He doesn't just give us the password into the presence of God. He makes us He makes us the sort of people who would have the password. You know, some of us grew up with a a form of religion that says this, you know, Jesus is the good guy and he gives us a password and he lets us go to a place that we shouldn't go. No, the work of the spirit and the work of the father is, is that Jesus is giving us passwords into places we couldn't go. But bigger than that, he's making us the sort of people who would have the passwords anyway. He's changing who we are. We're not just allowed in, but we're meant to feel welcomed and at home in the presence of Jesus. Some of us enter the presence of God and, and we, feel like, we feel like I did backstage at that Mumford and Sons concert, like allowed to go in, but embarrassed. And here's what I would like to say this morning. Uh, we are allowed to go in and be completely unashamed. We are allowed to come into his presence and be completely unashamed. We are allowed to come in straight into the presence of God and be completely, uh, completely unconcerned with our guilt and with our shame because he is the one who sacrifices, not someone who simply requires it. He lays down his life. Everything that needs to be done, it has been done. You are welcomed into the embrace of the Father. Uh, You don't have to stand back. You don't have to stand and watch. You don't have to even endeavor to become someone who's aware that there is a God, but you can go straight into the loving embrace of the Father. And so what I would like to say this morning is, church, we we should enter boldly. We should go straight in. We should, Hebrews 10, 22, we should go straight into the presence of God. This is, this is the thing that God has made us for. And, and this is the only thing that will make you satisfied in life, is to know God in this way. So what I would love this morning is this. I'd love it if the band could come on. Uh, we're going we're gonna to worship one more time this morning. And I'd love it if everybody else in this room would stand up. We're going to Pray. There will be a ministry team up front. Thanks again for stopping by the podcast of the Vineyard Church in Campbellsville, Kentucky. If you'd like to keep up with what's happening at the Vineyard, you can follow us on social media. Until next time.